Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Casey Stanton. Hi, Casey. How are you? And welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited, obviously, to dive into uh, your background and expertise, which would be the great place to start from here. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, can you give for our audience some more information about yourself, the business or businesses you're involved with, and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So right now, I lead uh, an organization called CMOX which is the leading organization to teach marketers and agency owners how to ascend from the role of um, marketing strategist or marketing technician to the role of CMO. And I'm seeing right now that there's this huge boom in the market for the need for a marketing leader. Organizations uh, now kind of, as, as we record this here in November of 2021, um, the pressures of COVID are significant. They've forced organizations that have never sold online to be forced to now sell online. Those same organizations would never let people work from home, and they just saw for the last 18 months or so that they've had a full uh, work from home um, uh, team. So as these organizations are getting ready for 2022 and moving forward, they're considering, you know, what do they need to have in their business in order to be successful? And they need marketing. They need a marketing leader. So I'm really excited about this. I think this is a blue ocean for marketers and agency owners to be able to ascend to the role of CMO and serve for multiple organizations. And when you do that, it's known as a fractional CMO. And I think that it's just um, it's just like a really exciting time. It's kind of like years ago when like Facebook ads came out, you know, it was like, that was the coolest thing ever when you had all of this um, uh, targeting that was available for people based on interests. And when Facebook released their uh, open graph and you could find things like, you know, men who are married, who are interested in Ashley Madison, the website for cheaters, right? Like you used to be able to find that mashup of data. That was like crazy times on the internet. And I think we're in another one of those kind of wild Cambrian moments uh, to be a fractional CMO. Very cool. Couldn't agree more. Obviously very familiar with the fractional element. Uh, my consulting business is essentially fractional product officer services. Uh, on this show though, obviously we talk quite a bit about marketing. So super excited to pick your brain about all of these things. And I couldn't agree more. The landscape has been shifting so quickly in such dramatic fashion and uh, can also can't underscore the importance of having high quality marketing help uh, on your team. Just went through those exercises myself for my business and probably the most valuable thing that I did this whole year so far. So can't say enough good things about that. So thank you for sharing more information about your background. Um, obviously, you know, on our show where we talk quite a bit, we're, we're speaking to consultants, right? The solo consultants, the small like boutique teams, uh, you and I both have a pretty significant consulting background. And the things that we want to talk about are related to the name of our show, right? The traps that consultants kind of can find themselves falling into if they're not doing what they should be, which myself totally guilty of uh, this year included when it comes to things related to business development and marketing. So love to hear more from you in terms of, you know, have you been there uh, when you were there? You know, what, what was your reaction like? The things that you did to kind of get out of it, but that consulting trap that we're referring to, which is that like roller coaster ebb and flow of being busy and not being busy because you know you're not you're not looking at these things, business development and marketing from the perspective of a sustainable, manageable process, right? And maybe it's a start-stop routine or it's inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, great point. So um, I think the problem with consulting is that it can be a revolving door. And it's a revolving door of prospecting, of selling, of servicing, and then spinning down those clients. 
This is just the nature of a consultant. What's worse is that many consultants are going in there to, to be a pirate. They're going in there just to collect as much money as they can and then kind of split it up with any of the partners that they have or maybe take it for themselves. What they're not doing is they're not farming. So I want to instill this like notion, and, and I got it from the great marketer Dan Kennedy uh, when he talked about speaking on stages. There's the people who speak on stages and they go and try to sell as many units as they can to that audience. And I think that that's an interesting way to make money, but it's a short-lived way to make money. It would be so much better to create a deeper relationship and then be able to farm that relationship for years or for decades to come. So for the consultant, are you being a pirate or are you being a farmer? And to be a farmer, to kind of move from this role of being a short-term consultant working on a 14-day, 30-day, 60-day, 90-day engagement, whatever it is, if you want that to last longer, I've got a pretty cool process in order to, to, to like help you kind of figure out how to do that. So I'd love to share that. Would you mind? No, that would be amazing. That's actually what I was going to ask next anyway. So you read my mind. Great. So uh, the premise here is that um, a consultant isn't needed after they've done their job. Like if you're a good consultant and you satisfied the work requirements for the proposal, um, why would the client keep you on? Even worse, what if you gave all of your ideas out during the sales call and they never hired you? right? Because they knew what to do now, right? So what you need to do is you need to put yourself in a position where you can actually push the company forward and get them to create change and become a lasting um, kind of like valuable member inside the organization. So I'm going to speak at this through the role of the CMO, but this certainly could be in like a, a senior strategy position um, and it could work for any of the other departments as well uh, because every other department really needs strategy in it. So the first thing that you need to do to be indispensable is you need to identify the biggest problems to solve. And I'm like such a nerd about this. I have like stickers that say solve bigger problems. Um, and uh, we've got, uh, I have my Yeti that I drink my coffee in every morning that says solve bigger problems on it. Solve bigger problems is, is the line that I want you to just have instilled in your mind. If you solve small problems, you deserve small wages. So if you solve, solve larger problems, the wages should increase because the impact increases. It's just about where you're focusing. So as a consultant, are you solving the small problem of giving a go-to market strategy, of auditing their sales team, of doing something related to product? Like, is it a small problem? Like, maybe it's like, you know, sizable, but like, is it the most significant thing? And when you're done with that, where do you move from there? Do you have like an ascension of things that you aim to solve for? In organizations, uh, more so than ever, they need a guide. They need someone who's looking out for them and supporting them and helping them. So if you stand in the role of consultant uh, and you're able to identify these large problems and you're able to effectively delegate those problems out to others, um, you can become indispensable. And the organization's leadership looks to you as the leader because you're the person who's identifying the problem and getting it resolved. The, the key thing here is that you're not the technician that's doing the labor, right? I don't want you as the consultant or the fractional CMO to fall down from that ascended role, fall down into the tactician. You need to delegate that out. So you need to clearly delegate it. So the challenge that I have for anyone listening to this is to think of their biggest client. Think of the client that they want to create a longer-term relationship with. Um, you know, uh, we, we have a term, no-brainer 90-day retainers. Can you get a no-brainer 90-day retainer with them? And maybe it's, it's longer than that. Um, 
certainly it's 90 days and then it's another 90 days and that's another 90 days and it's another, right? So that these engagements go from lasting from one 90 day to maybe two years or more. So the challenge to you is to, is to consider right now in your mind who your biggest client is or the client that you want to create a long-term relationship with. From there, come up with the five biggest problems that are stopping them from reaching the level of success that they need. These problems can have nothing to do with your expertise. But can you clarify what they are? Do they have a problem with uh, how they collect payments? Do they have a problem with their marketing? Do they have a problem with their email? Do you see a lot of infighting in, in between the different employees? Do they lack a, a strategic way to communicate? Like, are they in between text, Slack, Skype, and uh, Microsoft Teams? Right. If you do, they have all their documents um, across everyone's, you know, download folder on their personal computers, or do they have a shared document repository like Google Drive or Dropbox or Box or whatever? If you look and find these major problems, you can propose solutions. And if you propose a solution in a very clear way, um, using a tool that you know we have, we, I call it a delegation filter. You can get that outcome delegated to someone else for them to actually. Um, uh, execute on their own. And the most important thing on a delegation filter is it's a document that lists the, the project name, like um, centralized document document storage for the whole team. Like that's the, the project name. Who owns it? You need to assign this to a person, a who. You need to give it a deadline or a timeline. This needs to be done by Friday, December 31st at midnight Eastern, right? You have a hard deadline. And then you, you suggest like what the importance of it is. Why is this important? What's the purpose of you doing it? That's another subcategory. Uh, you can also say what the success criteria is. How do you know that it's done successfully? And then finally, I like to say, what's the best case scenario if you do this effectively? And what's the worst case scenario if you don't? And if you write these things out and clarify it in a document, the delegation filter will give you um, incredible leverage and you will be seen as someone so useful because you've identified the largest problems and you've gotten the solution. And the solution wasn't you working more hours. It was you clarifying what the problem was and finding the expert to give it to. Does that make sense, Sean? Kind of sense. I love the way that you came at that from a strategic perspective in how the consultant should be positioned in terms of how the client thinks about them, right? I would almost categorize it as like a working on versus working in, right? Mm. So your unique perspective in this scenario is you're bringing that expertise, you're living at a strategic level and you're helping you know, strategically pinpoint these things that you just mentioned, right? Those top five problems. What should we be focusing our time on? The larger team at these organizations, they may get bogged down by the details of the day-to-day, -day, right? But that consultant's supposed to rise above that stuff and be the force that they can't be because they're like yeah. weighed down by their own inertia, right? So if you can live at that level, you can be really strategic, you know, while they're executing. And then the rest of what you described, I, what I loved about that was that it was tactical in nature, right? And it builds it as a process, right. which is what we talk quite a lot about when we're talking about traps that consultants fall into. You're not building something like a process like you just said, right? How are you going to measure the results? Like, how are you going to know whether or not this worked? How are you going to know whether or not it moved the needle, right? And then right. that lack of like clarified expectations with clients is where I've seen things go sideways. I imagine you probably have examples of that too. For sure, for sure. And and, and also to the, to the consultant listening, um, if your cup is always full of tasks, of thoughts, of ideas, and you never are able to empty it and get down to zero, how can you be creative? 
You know, you might find that you're the most creative on a walk or in the shower or, you know, for me, man, some of my best ideas come when I uh, clean dishes, you know, it's right. like meditative. I just kind of get lost in it. And um, it's, it's, I can only have those experiences when my mind isn't full of all the must do's. Like I've, I've been able to delegate those effectively. So I think that's really important. I think another thing, another trap that consultants fall into is because they're the highest paid person, right? Because they're, they're the hippo, the highest paid person in the room. Um, they think that they have to do all the work themselves. And there are certainly roles that can be supportive for you. When I started off as a fractional CMO, um, I was really just doing consulting. Like that's how it all got started. I was working at a marketing agency and I had clients do that and I was doing consulting. And I found that there were some things that I was really, really good at, namely the strategy, right? Kind of like sensing when the executive that I'm working with had like some kind of hidden emotion about something and like kind of prying at it to figure out what was really going on there and um, sensing places where they might have like low confidence and find ways to bolster that confidence. I mean, I love that stuff. It's kind of like um, uh, an Easter egg hunt for me. And I would do that stuff until the day I die. Like I just won't retire from that. But what I hated was writing proposals. I hated email follow-up. I hated sales follow-up, right? I love the sales call. I just don't want to follow up with the person. Um, there are just a lot of nuanced pieces that I disliked. And I found myself getting into a position where I could spend, you know, one day loving everything and the next day kind of hating everything because maybe one day I'm doing a half day consult and then the next day I have to, ugh, I have to recap it and I have to send the client something of value. And it just became so painful for me. And I was like, just in this kind of hot and cold love and hate relationship with the work that I was doing. And I realized that I was in complete control. So being in complete control of my own destiny, I had to figure out a way to solve for that. So I solved for fun. I solved for simplicity. I solved for efficacy and impact. And I did that by bringing in an assistant. So for four years, I've had an assistant and I hired him back when I didn't know what he was going to do for me. I literally didn't know. Um, he is still with me today. He is the glue that holds our organization together. And I adore him. Um, he is a US-based uh, full-time employee, had to figure that whole thing out, right? I was a business owner, had an LLC, converted it to an S-corp, yada, yada, hired a full-time employee, health benefits. Listen, it will change your life if you get the support to really have the support that you need. Like get the support in so that you can do the things that you love doing. Uh, I think of a, a mentor of mine, Dan Sullivan. And Dan Sullivan's got this line, which is, Frank Sinatra never moved his own pianos. Right? The reason that Frank's so great is because he rehearsed and he played and he drank, right? Like that's why he was <laughs> yep. so good. Had nothing to do with him moving his own pianos. So the question to you, the consultant is, where are you moving pianos? Man, there's nothing in the world right now like Upwork. If you don't know Upwork and if you don't have like some experience in Upwork, I, I beg you to get it. Upwork is a beautiful place to be able to find talent. I've had ideas for apps and I've, you know, I found a developer um, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. I found a developer and I paid him and he built out the MVP on it. Uh, I actually have two women right now working on drawing me something for a personal project. Uh, last night I had an idea for it. I found him on Upwork. I sent him a bid. They accepted it. And today they got started. I mean, these people are working for you on an hourly basis or on a contract basis or whatever. Um, and you can find any talent you want. I mean, I mean, talent like is obscure as like um, uh, custom sock designers. 
Like you're like, you know what? I want to make my own socks. Well, you need two things, a sock design and a sock printer, right? Or a sock stitcher or whatever. So you just go on Upwork and you find the number one sock designer and you can get your socks designed. Like these things are all possible. So do you need someone that um, does sales support for you? You don't want to do proposals anymore. Cool. Clarify what you need. Go find that person, hire that role in, bring them in. Maybe they're in Philippines. Maybe they're in India, right? If they're not client facing, it doesn't matter their, their ability to speak English fluently, though Filipinos are very great uh, generally at, at speaking English. I mean, even, even uh, Indians as well. So you can also find folks in South America. If you want someone to work in the same time zone as you, you can play the arbitrage game where you're hiring people that are, um, you know, five, six, seven, eight, 10, $15 an hour. Or you can pay for really great talent. In the US, some great talent, let's say for a designer, cost you 45 to 90, maybe $100 an hour. I can get that same talent in um, uh, Serbia for $25 an hour. So knowing that these resources are available, the only thing that's stopping you from suffering is yourself. And I think a lot of us you know, have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. And when you start pulling in additional support, you find that you can take your foot off the brake and you go a whole lot faster. Very well said. And I think this is a misconception too. Like you said, when I was starting out, I felt the same way too, right? I have to build everything myself, right? Especially yeah. if I'm going to command those premium prices, right? They're expecting it, right? Like, no, they're not. But you did a great job of articulating that. What they're expecting is the results, right? In terms of how mm -hmm. you get there, right? Getting to the destination was they care about how they get to the destination, not so much, right? And then I think there's a misconception too, where those of us out there that are solos or running small boutique shops, you know, feel that we can't build our team, which is not true at all. In fact, this year I've done quite a lot of, of what you're describing here, where I have, you know, a number of different people helping me now, everything from like virtual admins working in the Philippines to, you know, uh, dedicated full-time UX researchers that work for our consulting projects here in the US. And like, major tech cities and the work that they do has completely changed my life. So I'm literally firsthand experience of like what this can do. Yeah. And it opens up so many unbelievably interesting possibilities. Like I can just get lost in Upwork. Like you said before, oh there's so much talent and it, you can just, you can just be on there for days. Dude, um, I, had a, I had like a credit card team. payment that was like late, right? Like got a credit card a while back years ago and it was like late for the first payment. So I had a derogatory mark. Yep. And I found someone online who would go and challenge that mark for like 10 bucks. <laughs> Wait, is amazing. that worth it? The answer That's is absolutely, amazing. right? And actually, she turned me down and she said, um, it doesn't make sense for me to do it because it's so old. It's not used in credit reports anymore. But yeah. had I known about that eight years ago, nine years ago, that would have been awesome for my credit, right? Totally, totally. There is a whole world out there of like, I've been thinking of it like functional outsourcing. So I've been through the exercise a few times myself, just like you said, right? Focusing on that, like living in that strategic level, because that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and problem solving is a great way to think about it. I think of that all the time myself. It's like, that's what's really engaging for me. That's where I do my best work. Like I want to experience problem that nobody else wants to tackle for which nobody has any idea what to do with it. And it just like right. happens to fall into my domain. Like that's where I want to live. That's my best opportunity to grow. And it happens to be the most engaging for me. Plus no one else wants to do it. A lot of people can't do it as such, you know, uh, blind men that, typically drives the price up and for someone who can solve that, right? So those are the skills that I want to add, not yeah. necessarily like this hyper-efficiency stuff, which is busy work or repetitive tasks or whatever. That's where I get bogged down and I get I get bored and I become disengaged. And at that point, I'm not even doing good work. So if I'm trying to do it, it's a quality work anyway. 
So like I've delegated stuff now where there are people doing it that cost significantly less than I do, but the quality of the work that they produce because it's a better fit is significantly higher. Like it's almost the opposite of what you would expect. So couldn't agree more. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I think, I think the time right now is to be like a consultant is powerful right now. Um, There's a great book by David Epstein called range. And he talks about the value uh, formally of being a specialist. Like if you were the blacksmith in town and the only blacksmith or the only bread maker, like you were pretty in demand, but now all that, all those skills are just kind of everywhere. And if I need to find any specialist, I can go find them. They're kind of a dime a dozen. You know, some markets are more expensive. Like if I want a software developer, I'm obviously going to pay more for that than a graphic designer. Um, right. Or like a content editor or, or, or a voiceover actor, like all of that talent is everywhere. You know, if someone came to me and said, okay, how do I make money online? To me, the best answer is to wield the power of others. So getting yourself into a position where you have a lot of range, where you have a lot of experience and a lot of different disciplines, where you satisfy your curiosity and your hobbies and in your personal life, right? Um, and, and then in business, if you take all of those experiences and you're able to leverage those to support an organization, it can be very novel. You know, people ask me, um, you know, when I was doing fractional CMO work, uh, like, uh, like full time, um, they would ask me things like, Casey, like you work with a lot of B2C companies. Uh, are you really sure you can help my B2B company? And what I loved about that question is like, they don't even know what's happening on the B2C side or the B2B side, right? Like they don't understand like the nuance difference, like on B2B, how we go for high ticket sales and we're willing to go upside down on the um, uh, prospecting, right? We're willing to spend some good money to build a real relationship with someone so that you can farm that relationship for a long time. And you know, that one high ticket sale of a B2B service or SaaS or product or whatever, that can pay for a whole lot of prospecting. That's a cool place to be. So the idea of call centers is very interesting, right? Like doing outbound calls to do B2B sales, like that stuff's really cool. But on the B2C side, there's really novel stuff that exists there too, like high volume um, uh, split testing on a website. So optimization to figure out what what uh, permutation of a headline, subheadline, offer, and button generate the most sales. That's really cool. But that's also kind of like known. Everyone in the direct-to-consumer e-commerce space knows about this high-volume split testing. But in the B2B space, they don't. So in the B2B space, they're going to call, you know, they're going to get on the phone and call uh, 100 people, 200, 300 people a day for cold calling. But are they taking on like that B2C marketer's approach of like coming up with different variations to test, right? And, and, and they're not. So that B2C idea applied to B2B or the B2B idea of having a call center, right? Or of like spending more money to acquire a customer in creative ways. Like that can be applied to the B2C space. So as you think about this as a consultant, the question to you should be, you know, what's novel about something that I've seen in a completely different market? You know, the language that one market, one industry, uh, one sector uses can be opposite of another. And to understand that at a, at a depth where you can see like, oh, wow, this thing that worked over here for this client that was in the, um, uh, let's say, like um, medical device field can also work for this company over here that's in logistics. Totally. I mean, they couldn't be more different, but they also have similar problems, right? That stuff so is amazing. 
Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. time to be a, a generalist. And I think um, also if, if folks listening here are probably curious people and being a generalist is like, to me, way more fun than being a repetitive, uh, you know, just doing repetitive work. Couldn't agree more. And there quite a bit myself um, that I really want to reinforce that point that you made where take a strategy that's kind of been applied to one industry and then you apply it to another one. Uh, you gave the B2B, B2C to B2B example, uh, same in a few other sectors as well. There's been some remarkable progress made by taking a strategy that worked in one industry for which another one is totally unaware of, hasn't even yeah. thought about it. Um, but that those unique combinations can make for some real interesting, you know, positive momentum and progress. Um, and it's that like taking back, taking that step back, having that working on the business perspective because other people aren't, you know, there's not a lot of uh, people going from, you know, industry A to industry B. So they may not be aware right. of these things. They're not thinking about them, but you as the consultant, you as the generalist, you probably, you may have this experience or if anybody does, it's likely you, right? Because at, we may be working, you know, five jobs at a time really. And it's every one of our clients uh, technically, you know, so those are opportunities for us um, to learn at a significantly faster pace, which is always why I thought, you know, this work was such a good fit for me because having just like, like you said, that singular focus on doing one thing over and over again is, um, is limiting from the perspective of growth. So that's why I think it, like it a is, lot it of is though I want to consultants I, gravitate uh, towards that. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize the person who has a long follow through, who wants to do the same thing over and over again and improve it. I need that person in my life. I surround myself with those people. Oh, yeah. I've got a guy in my team who has like, you know, his routine work is the same stuff every week. And honestly, I couldn't do two hours of it without going crazy. And that guy gets better. And every week he mentions some tiny improvement that over the course of time is, is you know, um, like significant. Um, he's, yeah. So surrounding yourself with these people who are just so different than you, like, I don't like working on my taxes. So I surround myself with really great tax professionals. You know, in the same way, you can do that with all other aspects in your business, not just, you know, the normally outsourced things like um, like taxes. So well said. And it's it's very cool to watch the team members that you add get better and better at what you originally brought them on to do. Right. Like work together, make that kind of progress. And then you become super high functioning. It just gets more exciting from that point forward. So excellent point there, too. Um, awesome content here, Casey. Thanks a ton for you know being on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. A couple of questions for you before we let you go though. The first would be, you know, of anything that we talked about here today or anything else you think would be valuable for this audience, what resources, books, blogs, whatever you might recommend, uh, would you mention that the people listening to this show should definitely check out? Oh man, there's some great ones. Um I mean, like what's in reach. Uh, so a really great book um, by Cunningham is called The Road Less Stupid. That's a really great one for us consultants, uh, for us yeah, strategists. Love the title. Um, what I love about it is he talks about putting yourself in a physical position where you're sitting at a desk and you put your hand over your, like on your forehead and kind of as a visor and you really limit like the purview of what you can see. And in the other hand, you hold a pen and you present yourself with one question and you set a timer to answer that question. And these are called thinking time questions. And it really just focuses you to be completely focused. So what's the thinking time question? I think the process is beautiful. And I think the questions that he asks are really, really powerful. For example, um, you could ask yourself a question of, if I had to rebuild this business using just personal relationships alone, how would I do it? Or another question is, 
um, uh, if I doubled my prices, what would happen to the business? And like, not just, not just take the first thought that comes to your mind and, and consider that the actual answer, but to really sit with it. So I think that's a super, super powerful book. Um, I've got another book right here. Uh, the Technique for Producing Ideas. This is a fun book. So recommendation for this little guy, um, cheap one from James Webb Young, A Technique for Producing Ideas. That's a great one. Uh, and I'm working on my book right now, uh, all about becoming a fractional CMO. And if anyone is interested in that, they can go to my website, cmox.co forward slash book, cmox.co forward slash book. And that tells um, in more detail, uh, you know, the, the idea of how to become a fractional CMO and, and, and in this way for the consultant, how to be a strategist that has that leverage. Some incredible resources. Thank you for sharing. We will link to all that in the notes as well, too. So folks listening, you can gain access to all that type of stuff. Uh, that will be in the show notes. And then uh, thank you for that, Casey. Last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? If, if you've got a marketing agency uh, or you're an agency owner um, or you're a marketer and you're looking to kind of break free of the agency that you're inside of and you want to ascend to the top role in marketing as a CMO and you want to serve multiple clients, I'd love to chat with you. I've got a video prepared at the website cmox.co and uh, forward slash invite cmox.co forward slash invite. That's a great place um, to learn more. Uh, if anyone else is interested in hiring fractional CMOs, meaning you want to bring a CMO in to help support you and your business, you can go to cmox.co and just fill out the form there and we'll get you in touch. We've got a cadre of really great, talented fractional CMOs that I've trained um, that are uh, available in all niches. I mean, really in B2B, B2C, everything from aviation to packaging to small business banking to direct to consumer e-commerce. I mean, all across the board. Um, and then the last thing is I've got uh, a Facebook community, which you can find at uh, on Facebook by searching for fractional CMO community, or just go to cmox.co forward slash community. And there's a couple hundred of us in there and we all share kind of what's working right now as a fractional CMO. Thank you a ton for sharing that stuff, Casey. We'll link to all that, of course, as well. Also, can't say enough good things about uh, yourself and your knowledge. So People, please take advantage of those opportunities as much as you possibly can. I guarantee you will learn quite a bit. Um, thanks for being here, Casey, and sharing your knowledge and experience with myself and our audience. Yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Consultant Trap. If you have a suggestion for a future episode or you would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at sean at podcastchef.com. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at podcastchef.com. P-O-D. C-A-S-T-C-H-E-F dot com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our Podcasting Done For You service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your consulting business to the next level. Hey, you, yes, you, it's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet, or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. 
we will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks.